Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Toshi and welcome back to Sex in Space. We're here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. I hope everyone out there is doing just great. Whether it's your first time listening or you're an experienced voyager of our intergalactic travels, we're thrilled to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. Make sure to show your support by liking, rating and subscribing. If you're after more great sex and space content, you can find us over on TikTok and Instagram. Just search for us using our handle at sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. We always love to hear from our listeners and your feedback means the world to us. We're all on this journey together. So please feel free to reach out in any way that you'd like. Now let's jump into another awesome episode. Jane had the pleasure of speaking with Vanessa Hamilton, a sexuality educator and founder of the education business Talking the Talk Healthy Sexuality Education. Vanessa has over 25 years of experience as a registered sexual health nurse, and she's also the parent of three teens, an award-winning author, highly respected speaker, podcaster, blog writer, and educator on the topics of human sexuality, consent, and respectful relationships. Vanessa has also developed educational resources and training for both parents and teachers, which focus on these topics too. One of these resources is her latest book release called Talking Sex, a conversation guide for parents, and we'll speak about this more later in the episode. Let's get into it. So I'm here today at Sex in Space with Vanessa, Vanessa Hamilton, who's a sexuality educator and founder of the education business Talking the Talk Healthy Sexuality Education. Vanessa's immersed herself in helping parents, teachers and health professionals understand human sexuality and specifically how it relates to children. So she's here today to tell us a bit about her work, her books, and they are awesome resources for parents. I have had a look at them and they're great, so we'll get to those. But before we do any of that, um, first, Vanessa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd just like to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation um, here in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, that's very cool. Thank you for that. And um, so before we kind of get into what you've been up to lately, I'd like to um, go back to the beginning and say, how did you end up in this space at all? Tell us about your history. Actually, quite by accident. (laughs) Back in the early 90s, I was backpacking around the world and I was in London and uh, I did a nursing agency shift one day, taking blood tests in a HIV clinic. In the early 90s, it was a really interesting time to work in HIV because there was only, the medication had only just been introduced and only just started working. So... I, in fact, saw all sorts of AIDS-defining illnesses. We had thousands of patients. Um, and I ended up working in that clinic for seven months, which was just a fascinating and interesting time. And sexual health was something I had, didn't really even know about. When I came back to Australia, I worked at Melbourne Sexual Health Centre, which is Australia's largest sexually transmitted infection clinic, for over 16 years. I was the nursing manager there for five years, and I was a lecturer at Melbourne University teaching doctors and nurses how to have conversations about sex and sexuality, because... 
suddenly now they really had to take notice of it because they had to do HIV testing and they hadn't really ever been trained in how to approach that, you know, they, they did it when they needed to, but really they had to uh, ask people outside of the context of a consultation about sexual health. I've also worked in a large hospitals, a clinical nurse consultant in sexual health, helping people with um, uh, acquired brain injuries, uh, spinal cord injuries, cancers, etc., with their sexual health, but also teaching doctors, nurses, physios, occupational therapists how to have conversations about it, even the dietitians and the music therapists. And I ended up um, teaching in schools. I started a business because my child asked me a difficult question when they were five years old and all my years of sexual health nursing hadn't prepared me for what I say to a five-year-old. <laughs> and I thought, mm, parents need help. So the aim was to teach parents and teachers, but schools started asking me for a contemporary approach to their student content because the current deliverers were leaving things out and not being inclusive. So I've had the privilege of teaching from prep, sort of five-year-olds, all the way up to uh, first year university for over seven years. <clears throat> And that's where we are. That's COVID hard. made me put it all online. So now it's all online so I can support any classroom. I train the teachers. I talk to the t um, parents and give the teachers the content. And it's a much better use of my time than me being in one classroom on a, any given day. Now, you know, there's multiple schools using the same content at the same time. And that's a really interesting story. And the thing that kind of sounds out loud and clear listening to it is just across the professions that you work with, there's just such a gap in sex education when it comes to being able to talk about sex that you found literally everywhere. Everyone, all adults. And even still, when I train teachers like I do now, this afternoon I'm training teachers, I'll ask them how many of you have had training in delivering sexuality education, consent or respectful relationships. And the majority, mostly 75% have never had any whatsoever, even as an undergraduate training in never and those that have have had a little bit <laughs> there's and and yes and uh, health professionals also lack uh, it's getting better but um, that that but it's it's because we don't speak about it in our society and in our culture the hushed tones it's an unspoken topic and so easily ignored and put on the you know when everything when there's so many priorities I see it as the biggest priority personally because how can you know how can students even learn when they're having problems with what might be happening for them as far as perhaps abuse or they're worried about puberty or whatever I think it's a health and well-being issue that has to be addressed it's sort of the elephant in the room yeah completely and and so through that time um, the work that you've done what have been some of the big learnings for you well so many and I learn every day I went to a consent <laughs> conference with uh, experts on Tuesday and I, and I learnt so much. Um, it's an ever-changing landscape. Uh, I've learnt that people uh, are so full of shame and fear that has, is generational that it's actually blocking people from, from, from accepting and having conversations. And what I've learned is when people have that little bit of confidence, it really doesn't take much time with some, a group of teachers or a group of parents to, to them to just have that realisation, I can actually have these conversations. This is of benefit because the evidence is there. The evidence is absolutely there. So I've, I've learned that actually people can, can do it with a bit of support. That's cool. And, and when you say it's an ever-changing landscape, what do you think have been some of the 
major shifts well, obviously the online world and currently I'm immersed in young people's sexual health and wellbeing and the current sort of younger generation, they're digital natives, they've grown up online uh, and there's a big gap between parents' knowledge and understanding and acceptability of that compared to young people. So for example, let's look at um, sending nudes or sexting, sending images or, or, yeah. or, or texting. So it's... it's um, common more you know very highly common for young people to send those images to each other they see it as flirting you know we should address it as though it's a sexual activity which um, can be beneficial in a positive way you know in a respectful way but it comes with harms as well so there's trains of thought where we should be saying to young people don't send nudes because of all the risks and you know it would be ideal if they didn't because of all the risks However, saying to them don't do it isn't enough. They need strategies, um, as they do with any risks as far as sexual encounters. So um, preventing unintended pregnancy, preventing sexually transmitted infections, and preventing negative outcomes from sharing online sexual, you know, sexual images. Saying to them don't do it is, is not the answer. And I think there's a big no, gap between the, the adults and the, and the young people in that. How do you get the lights to go on with parents who never even thought about sexting, that, that it is a common thing? So my take-home message to parents, which is where the lights go on um, in my parent sessions, is pretty much the answer to all the questions. As I say to them this, I say to them, if you learn nothing else tonight, my take-home message to you is, who do you want to be the person who delivers this content to your child? Who do you want to be the person who tells them about sex, sexuality, respect for relationships and consent. And they all say, well, they want, they, they want to be the one. Some of them say they want me to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't pay me enough. It's too hard. I've got three kids. It's very difficult. Um, and what was the question? So the lights going on. So giving them, um, with parents, giving them the evidence. So showing the average age of first um, sexual encounters, showing them the average age of first unwanted sexual encounters. But most importantly, one of the main things is showing them that and getting them to come to the realisation that it's typically expected behaviour of a human to start sexually experimenting in their later teens. They don't suddenly become sexual yeah. beings the day they turn 18 and get out of a school uniform. So I talk about human sexuality across the life stages and ages and how it's appropriate across all of lifespan and if we accept that there's typically expected sexual development and behaviour over every age then we can respond positively when it comes up because we expect it. Yeah I like the way your book took people through those stages really well and what to expect in them. I guess um, what you also covered off and we'll kind of get into your book more in a bit but is um, just some of the, the headline stats around how young people are when they start to get into something like sexting and I think that you, you nicely point out that we can't leave sex education until they're in their teens. Absolutely You've not. You've got to go younger right? So, mm. Yeah. So, so for parents uh, with kiddies how, how do you counsel them to uh, or what, at what age do you say you need to start thinking about this? Uh, when they're toddlers <laughs> naming body parts in a shame free way so, yep, so, and that's about, um, so the most important thing rather than the content of what you say to a child is the tone and what you're giving them is the resource, the idea that this can be talked about, 
this is okay. This is part of being human. And what you're setting them up for is the ability to talk about it with partners in the future. You're setting them up for the future, for them to talk to their children so we can break this generational continuum of not of the hushed tones. So um, that's the, the most powerful thing. It, this is a topic we can talk about. And I give parents lots and lots of strategies. So, for example, you know, they all say the same fears and myths. Every parent session, that's the top eight fears and myths, they come up every time. I don't know what to say. I haven't got the right language. What if I'm embarrassed? What if they're embarrassed? They'll lose their innocence. If we tell them about it, they'll go out and do it. I've heard all that. And so debunking all of those myths, which are just myths, um, helps them to have those conversations. And yeah, naming, naming body parts in a shame-free way. Then you talk about body safety because they're going off to kinder and childcare. Who can touch their body parts and under what circumstances? Um, learning about consent starts in the playground. It's about mutually negotiating an enjoyable game to play. It's managing your disappointment when your friend says no. So they're embedded decision-making skills about consent for them to take into their intimate encounters later on. They should learn about their reproductive capacity during pub about around puberty before it happens. So that's before eight years old because that's when it can happen to them or their peers. And celebrate it. There's nothing shameful about going through puberty. Um, but parents really struggle. They don't have the language or the words. And I say saying something is better than saying nothing. And also saying things yeah. that things, they say, oh, well, if I talk to my kids, they might go and tell the other kids at school. Well, that doesn't matter. At least it'll be accurate. <laughs> but you can say to your children, we can have open conversations in our household. You can ask us anything. But it's not your job to teach the other kids at school. That's their adult's job. This is a private conversation, so it's not a conversation for the playground. And the other yeah, thing is giving framing. them and giving them information is not permission. Education is not permission, especially when you add in your values and expectations. It's shown in those countries where this, is, this information is given age appropriately from a young age throughout their whole schooling, they have much better outcomes, such as they delay first sexual intercourse to a later age, they have much less unintended pregnancies, less sexually transmitted infections, and report much more pleasurable, respectful, responsible encounters. The evidence is there. I'm starting to use the term neglect. If we don't do this, I think it's actually neglectful because there's so much evidence of the benefits. And also of the harms. That's a really interesting... I, I haven't heard anybody bring that in before, but I think that's a really fair use of the word. Well, I'm wondering... I'm, I'm uh, using it cautiously because I wonder if I'll get some pushback, but I'm, I'm a bit old and tired now and there's a lot to do <laughs> and I really think it is... I've seen yeah. evidence of the neglect, you know, of not giving that education. The majority of parents support this education. The, the evidence is clear. We've got some great Australian evidence that shows that over 90% of parents want this to these topics taught. But we've got a small minority of very loud conservative people who um, their ignorance and arrogance around uh, the evidence is, is alarming and it is actually causing harm to children. People are entitled to their own opinions, but they're not entitled to harm other people with that opinion. And like you, I won't tolerate people blocking sexuality education, which is blocking the safety of children. Oh, and perpetuating harms. If you look at the LGBTQIA plus figures for harms, it's, I mean, it's appalling. And, and so often from their own families. That's right. Um, and so ignorance is... Is, is a real problem and so that kind of that framing you know in terms of how you support people um, to address um, kind of difficult issues conversation but you also talk in your work about 
helping people to unlearn things. And so can you talk to us a bit about your experiences, what some of the unlearnings have been? Well, for example, um, sex and sexuality is, is seen as something that isn't relevant to children. Um, sex isn't, but sexuality is, and human sexuality is just huge. It's just a massive topic. I asked, I ask um, adults at, at adult sessions, what do people broadly think of when they hear the word sex? And it always comes down to two things. They say the deed, the act, doing it. Doing what? Heterosexual penis-vagina intercourse. Uh, and they'll say gender, being male or female. So the idea that sex is penis-vagina heterosexual intercourse and being male or female is so limiting. And that's why I don't like the term sex ed. We're not teaching little preppies about that intercourse and being male or female. It's about human sexuality. One of the things that people say is if we teach them about it, they'll lose their innocence. That implies that learning about human sexuality, learning about their bodies and relationships, is harmful, shameful, taboo or wrong when it's not. They'll lose their innocence when something happens to them that they didn't want to happen or they didn't know about. Ooh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Reframing yeah. um, children uh, and, and sexuality being two separate things, I think, is really, really important. And, and the penny drops yeah, with yeah. adults when they realise that actually this is a human thing for the, you know, they've never, ever been taught that before, ever. The adults, that is. Oh, and the other one that you call out in your work that's not really taught, barely gets a mention, is pleasure. Never. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about why you think it's not there? Well, see, pleasure's not a dirty word. People just don't talk about it. And even in a parent session on two, well, three nights ago, one of the parents said, oh, well, we wouldn't talk about pleasure till they were 16. And I'm like, why not? A, a child having a pleasurable foot massage is pleasurable. Uh, you know, yeah. any touch that they should have from another person should feel good and be pleasurable. People are so hung up on the word pleasure. And it's the glaring omission in what young people need to hear about now. They're hearing from pornography and TikTok and internet and all of those things and they're missing the fact, we were just in the consent um, forum the other day, and we do not tell young people, especially young male, heterosexual males, that they can actually have the most amazing pleasurable experiences by, ex by sharing the pleasure of their partner or with their partner and we just don't say it. And in fact, in the parent um, survey that was done here in Australia to see the 40 topics that parents support being taught on there's 40 different topics pleasure it came in at the lowest <laughs> would you believe so at no. still 86 percent but pleasure at the lowest and in fact sexual orientation and um and sexual diversity was uh, higher than that but sexual people are so hung up on pleasure goodness if we could just talk more about pleasure in the right context age appropriately i think uh we would, there would be a lot a lot of uh, benefits in that yeah, I think the work that you do to um, help people understand consent outside of a sexual framework um, is great. And maybe it's like that with pleasure as well, you know, that, that both of those things need to be normalised and, and made visible um, through conversations that we have. Mm. Like what feels good, what doesn't feel good doesn't have to be about something sexual. Certainly doesn't. Um, and, in, and, it, and of course... That embeds those decisions and skills as children ready for their intimate encounters later on. It has nothing to do with sex. Yeah, it's, a yeah. Bad. it's yeah, about it's being totally. human. Yeah. Because consent is relationships, consent is sharing, consent is relevant for work, play, schooling, 
family, romantic, all sorts of things. There is sexual consent, but consent is just part of our everyday interactions of being human. Yeah, and yet it's not really kind of got visibility as a topic, it's got visibility as a sexuality topic. And yet, if we could, as you do uh, with your first book, put it in a context of relationships, it, it, it makes much more sense to then extrapolate it into well, sexuality. We sort of live in a very non-consensual world, so kids that go to school don't get much say in what happens to them every day at school, even the fact of you know having to go to school. Um, think of marriage, till death do us part. We, you know, there's so much fundamental non-consent in our everyday life. Um, uh, but it, yeah, and that's got nothing to do with sexual things, so to speak, but it is missing a lot of this conversation and awareness. You're making me think of too that, that kind of critical juncture with parenting where you get, you know, when they're little and there is non-consenting, no, you're going to eat this or no, you're not going to do that. And then they get to the stage where that doesn't work as a tactic anymore. And actually what you have to start to do is negotiate consent. But a lot of parents don't have the skills to do that because they were never given that type of a parenting. And, and it is about parenting, you're right. And people have asked me questions and I've referred them on to parenting resources because it, it's about negotiating that things yeah. have to get done. One parent said to me, you know, what about consent when we've just got to get to kinder and they've just got to get their clothes on? <laughs> so the conversation with kids is around consent is that, um, uh, yes, you have that autonomy and you teach them body safety skills, but when it comes to health and well-being and um, getting to important things, sometimes the adults have to make that decision. So if it's crossing the road and an adult has to grab your hand, you, you don't get a say in that because of your safety and well-being. Sometimes if you have to have a, a vaccination, you don't always get to make that decision, but you will when you are older. Um, now, some people may disagree with me on that, but that's the way that we can explain it. And look, so you, you already pointed out parents tend to come ill-equipped because they don't have the sex education either. And um, I guess um, in terms of the big subjects you find parents struggling with when you talk to them, myths you've identified as one, how to manage and navigate consent, how to parent, um, are there sort of some headline sexuality issues that you've found them dealing with in the, on repeat? Yeah, explaining how babies are made. <laughs> Let's start there. Oh. I mean, just that act, just that description is enough to put people off having conversations about sex and sexuality when it's such a tiny, small part of it. And I do give them an example, and I can give you that if you want, of the spiel that can be said about that. But just their, their thought processes... Well, I'll give you that first, and then I'll talk about... Okay, please do, yes. Do you want that? What is the spiel? <laughs> well, there's lots of ways that babies can be created. So, And there's some fantastic books around with IVF, and there's surrogacy, and all sorts of different ways, and families come in all shapes and sizes, all of that. Um, but the most common way is when a person with a penis and testicles and a person with a vagina and ovaries um, decide that they want to make a baby. They talk a lot about it. Um, in, insert your own values here. They love and respect each other and they're married. It's up to you. Um, so they decide they want to make a baby. They talk a lot about it. They will choose a private place and time. Um, and when they're ready, they'll be enjoying each other's bodies, usually with no clothes on. When they're ready, the vagina will accept the penis. The penis will deliver the sperm and the sperm will travel up to meet the egg. 
Excellent. Full stop. Most kids will say, that's great, can I have a biscuit? You know, they really, if it's too much information, it will go over their head. But then they giggle and some will say, that's disgusting, why would you even do that? And then you follow up with, kids giggle and think that's disgusting because it's not for kids. It's for adult minds and bodies only. And adults actually enjoy that. So this is where we bring in the pleasure. And in, in fact, to include pleasure in that description, especially for if you're telling an older child, I think people should say the vagina becomes stretchy and slippery or slip, um, stretchy and, and lubricated and the penis sticks up from the body. And that's where you're including pleasure to show that there's a, there's a, there's a reaction in the body when they're enjoying something and they're wanting to be there and do that. There will be that reaction. Because kids will have those sexual thoughts and feelings. They will have um, those responses of lubricated vagina and, and, and erections. Let's name it for what it is in a positive way so they don't feel shame around that. Um, I ask adults at, at education sessions, I say, what do we want for our children? What do we want for this generation of children for their sexual journey through life? Mm -hmm. I say, call out the words. And joy, pleasure, fun, consent, respect, 30 different words come up. And I say to them, well, how are they going to get that? Are they going to get that from learning from pornography, TV, advertising, popular culture? Or are they going to get it from this bubble over here, which is the classroom and home complementing each other? Yeah. Facts from the classroom and facts and values from home. So the big sticking points are, you know, just that description of there's just so much shame and fear about the act of sex and sexuality, especially pleasure. Um, that's one of the things I really, really struggle with. And the fact that, oh, if we tell them, they'll go out and do it when the evidence shows that that's not the case. Yeah, in fact, it's the opposite. I think in your book you included some stats, and we've used them in other work. Um, the difference between the Netherlands and the US when it comes to unplanned pregnancies, it's just breathtaking. It's breathtaking. And even in regions, even here in Victoria, um, in 2019, when the state average of, of births in teens uh, was nine per thousand. We had two regions in Victoria that had a rate of 28. Wow. And I've been to those regions and there's two main reasons for that. One is geographically and access to services and professionals um, in that area. But secondly, we clearly know that's lack of education and I've seen the education being blocked in two of the big schools in those regions and that's where that neglect comes in because when you have a rate like that that is so different and you think to yourself, well, why is that? But it's also about not being able to buy condoms from the supermarket because your whole family works there. But then I said, well, where, where can they get condoms? They should be vending machines in the public toilets. You know, but the council won't allow that because of that small number of conservative people who will complain about that. We, yet, yet their pregnancy rate is so high. So... Yeah, and, and, you know, sexual violence, um, poor sexual relationships, these are the, the dark side of what happens. And yet, it doesn't get a lot of airtime. Well, in Australia, some of the biggest issues regarding sexual violence is rigid gender stereotypes, which are probably you probably have the same issue in New Zealand as well. Mm. So breaking down those rigid gender stereotypes, talking about coercion um, and, and talking about calling out uh, the disrespect that is seen in things like pornography because in the absence of sexuality education children are getting messages from imagery related to things like sexual like pornography which says that sex involves violence yeah and increasingly so um, and and also that sex is um, heterosexual and it's about um, male pleasure 
And it's about penetrating something. Yeah, or, or even, you know, just the achievement of the male orgasm and the female body being an object for that to be achieved. But... Well, I've had to add clitoris into all of my anatomy lessons. <laughs> ah, good for you. <laughs> well, you know, that, for example, in the past, puberty education has been taught wet dreams for people with a penis and periods for people with a vagina, which is so inequitable because yeah. wet dreams is about a pleasurable thing and periods is a taboo and... Um, shameful thing so yeah not in my classes it's um, everybody has can have um, sexual thoughts and dreams and have a body reaction to that so vaginas will become lubricated so it's very bright our parents have to be quite brave to say things like that when it's been okay to talk about erections but not okay to talk about you know sexual response in people with vulvas and vaginas yeah, totally. And that's um, so I guess that is your work's the motivation for your new book. Can you um, talk to us a bit about that? Because I, I've been lucky enough to be allowed to read it. Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I, I, all I can say is every parent should have one as part of their parent training. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. Talking uh, sticks. It's, it's a tool for parents. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about how, how it's designed to work? Well, that was the idea. It was a tool. Again, I got very lucky with that book. That's really my 10 years of notes <laughs> that I've collected over, over the years. Um, it started as a PDF that I created in uh, lockdown on Canva that I was providing to parents. Um, and then while I was trying to get that designed, that Canva document, the designer said, do you mind if I give your name to a publisher? And the publisher offered me to write the book and we did it in a very short time. I wrote it because um, our kids deserve a lot better than what they're getting. Our kids deserve more than being exposed to what they're seeing on Snapchat and pornography. They deserve so much more than that. Um, and in order for them to get that, the adults need to be educated. And so, uh, because I see those constant themes from parents all the time, the idea, and also being a parent myself, and knowing how hard it is, even when I've got the knowledge that I have, yeah. um, I just wanted to, to get across some of those key aspects that I think hopefully can change the way we approach human sexuality so that the next generation and this generation can have more amazing, wonderful, pleasurable, joyful, connected, respectful, free of violence, free of unintended pregnancies, free of sexually transmitted infections. You know, we need to, I say to young people, at university, I say to them, raise the bar of your expectations of your sexual encounters. They should always be joyful and fun and pleasurable. They might be weird and smelly and awkward and all those sorts of things, but they should never be harmful, regretful or painful. Mm. But that's the dialogue they're being fed. Yeah. Um, and, and when we see countries who do this better, because the parents talk to the kids openly and honestly, and so do the adults and the teachers and the doctors and the everyone, um, I think that, that uh, we, we need to do that here and we can do it in this country and in New Zealand. Well, I think with, with books like yours, um, we can certainly start to break that cycle, as you say. And um, if you don't mind, there's one, I, I'd love to, to have you just talk to an example of why it's a power tool for parents. You've got a really lovely framework in there, um, your pink framework. The pink? <laughs> yeah, um, because everybody goes a little pink when their kids are like, oh, what's this? And you're like, oh. 
So the idea of pink is um, how to react when you come across an interesting or difficult scenario with your child or maybe you're walking and they're viewing pornography or you've seen it on their phone or they ask you a difficult question. One of the things I've always said to parents is, you know, just is P is for pause, just take a breath, don't react with fear and negativity because that's what happens. People are so fearful because adults have layer upon layer upon layer of stuff in their head, usually negative about sex and sexuality. We have to strip back those layers, excuse the pun, to address the simple situation in front of us. So take a pause, inhale, P-I, inhale, which helps you with the pause. And then I've put N next to, so lean into the child, either sit down next to them or um, if you're in the car, turn the music down, lean in, be near them, don't be standing over them. Um, and then K is think of the kindest word you can say to yourself and to them, that, that you can say to them that's kind for you and kind for them. And it can be as much as, wow, I'm glad I saw that because that means I can help you with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Or, and buy yourself some time as well. So you might be panicking on the inside, but keep your kind face on and say, I'm so glad you asked me that question. What made you think of that? I'm so glad you asked me. I'm really happy that you came in and asked me about that. What do you know about that already? And that buys you some time and they'll tell you a bit about where they're at. Um, they might know the whole story. Yeah, well... <laughs> so um, that's pink. That's my idea of uh, just um, responding rather than reacting. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful framework and I think it's a great example of the, the power tool that the book can be for parents. Um, you, you need to start somewhere and, and I, you know, there's some such good stuff in there. Um, things like practice, you know, which I'm a huge fan of. Like, saying, I like yours. The Volvo. Yeah. <laughs> so people have never said the word vagina out loud to another adult. I mean, adults don't even know how to speak to their own partners that they have sexual encounters with, let alone have the language to talk to children. So when you see a Volvo car as you're driving, say Volvo out loud to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Fun and, driving. <laughs> and do practice the conversation with someone, with another adult before yeah. you're gonna say it to kids. And I, I do like this afternoon with teachers, we'll be doing lots of activities where they have to say things and really stumble through it together in their teams, which helps them once they get into the classroom to be able to say it. Yeah, and a lot of the time, you know, for, for those of us that are fortunate enough to have friends around us, when you've got kids, you generally got other people who have kids around you, you know, talking to each other about that stuff, it, it can be really helpful. Mm. I guess, um, do you find there's a very gendered difference between how much people are open to what you're trying to do when you have these conversations or able to respond? In the sense of the parents, do you mean? Yeah. yeah, well, I was thrilled and I was reflecting on um, my Monday night's parent session where I, I think there was nearly a third of the room was male, which is wow, really okay. unusual and uncommon. But that speaks to that demographic in that particular um, inner, inner city sort of suburb. Uh, that's why. Whereas if I go to a different suburb in Melbourne, there'll be hardly any males there at all. Uh, right. Yeah, so, uh, but the majority of people who follow me is females and, and, um, and carers or mothers of, of children. And I think that speaks a lot to the fact that um, there's so much um, about masculinity in our society, especially sexuality and having conversations with kids, that it's a real barrier for males, which is a problem. And so I, I hope the book helps uh, with that as well. 
Yeah, so a, a, a really important call out for maybe mums that are listening. It's a book for for the dads, um, you know, uh, or whoever the carers are. But mm. just yeah, it's it's a both and, and um, particularly for young men, if they do have a, a male carer, they're a role model. As a role model, yeah. I think anyone can be, and it's good. I always say that children should be able to get this information from adults in their life, from different walks of life, different mm-hmm. genders, um, and hopefully the book goes along to that. I was speaking to everyone, so hopefully that helps with that. I have three boys myself, and so um, fairly immersed in the challenges that they have about being allowed allowed to talk about feelings and pleasure and all those sorts of things. So, as a, and this is maybe a little bit of an unfair question, <laughs> I have a, a, a three sons, and um, it, 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 that challenging conversation when it comes to not only talking to them about their bodies, but how to talk to them about um, their partner's bodies and how women's bodies operate with pleasure. Um, how do you suggest parents tackle that conversation, the other partner's pleasure? Yeah, my poor children's eyes roll a lot. <laughs> because mum's always talking about it you know I'll say so you use teachable and askable moments so any opportunity to say something just say it you know so um, a few things that I've done in my I'll give you some examples that I've done so teachable moments um, speak in the car Everyone's facing forward and, you know, they're a captive audience, but I don't mean that means you talk to them and they don't want you to talk to them. They, if they're a bit, I don't want to hear this, say, I just need five minutes of your time to tell you something really important. You don't have to respond and mm-hmm. you might just say a statement and leave it at that. But turn on commercial radio. There's so many teachable moments on that. So, right. for example, there was an advertisement um, that we have here. It's actually for laser eye surgery and it's, oh, yeah. Mr Jones, you've left your glasses at the massage park and so it says get rid so you don't you know lose your glasses so I use I had a 12 year old in the car with me um, who was about to go off to secondary or high school and I thought so I used that teachable moment to explain what a massage parlor sex work um, and prostitution was so that that came from me and that was said in a positive light and it was about respect of people's bodies and we talked about females mainly um, working in that industry so you know lots of conversations like that um, another one was uh, I had six kids in the car and again commercial radio we don't listen to it very often but you know it happened um, an ad for the nasal spray for erectile dysfunction last longer in the bedroom yeah and one of the kids said mum what's that an ad for um, and I checked the permission status of all the kids because you'd be surprised how many p- parents drop their kids for a play date at my house and say feel free to teach them if it can. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And I said, that's an ad um, telling people how long sex should go for, making money out of telling people how long sex should go for, and it's fake. And I turned it off and turned on the music. So I can't get rid of the ads, but I can call it out for those six male brains, and brains are the most important sexual organ, so that they don't learn from a young age that they have to have big, strong erections all the time to last longer in the bedroom so they can penetrate someone. So it might be more um, obscure than you think of talking about the actual physical acts. You're talking about um, you want them to be critical consumers of the messages they're being fed all the time. So I'll often call out, oh, they say that, but actually it's much more pleasurable um, when people's brains and skins are connected and um, partner's pleasure and all that sort of thing. I watched the Netflix series Sex Education yeah. um, with my 14-year-old over lockdown and the teachable moments in there were oh. endless. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to stop talking in the end, but it is very sexually explicit. Watch it first before you go and watch it with... And then I, when the second series came out, um, I said to him he was about 15, then I said, oh, we can sit down and watch the second series. And he said, I've already watched it with my friends, Mum. Yeah, I'm done, Mum. <laughs> I'm done, you're done. Um, it's talking about um, pleasure and respect and boundaries in a non-sexual way when they're little. You start those conversations very, very early. That's what I think is so lovely about listening to you. Is and, and I hope this is coming through really clearly for those listening. It's about having the confidence to have these conversations all the way through life. With partners, with kids, it doesn't matter. Just learn the language, use the words, and that means get educated, right? Look, I, th I do think parents need to go and do a bit of education. This isn't something that just comes naturally and you know what to say. And there's, there is information out there. What to expect at what ages, what language to use. I did do a bit of a tick sheet in there of conversations yeah. so that you can pick it up, have a quick look and gee, oh, wow, I really haven't said that before. So I might aim to do that this week. <laughs> um, yeah, what's so good about the book? I think it's very practical. It allows you to do exactly that. These are the different subjects you might want to cover across the many years you have with them, go for it. Mm. And don't stop when just because they turn 18. I think there's still those conversations to be had. And it's about positioning yourself as the go-to person, the teachable, askable person, um, the teachable, askable adult um, for, for children so that they know that they won't get in trouble even if they think it's rude or... You know, especially you want them to report to you if something's gone wrong online because it will go wrong. Mm. So don't take their device off them or stop them talking to their friends unless you need to, unless it's quite serious. You put in strategies, but you want them to come to you each time. Those sort of things will happen. And it can be as simple as, um, you know, if you're talking about online and sharing images, it can be as you know, accidentally take your phone into the bathroom when they're young and say, oh, oh, I accidentally brought my phone into this private space. I shouldn't have done that. I could have accidentally taken a photo of private body parts or I could have accidentally taken a photo of this private bathroom. Oh, I'll take my phone out. Yeah, you're sitting in, you're just, early on, you're saying we don't take phones in bathrooms and take images. Yeah, I think we, we, we have a, a book we're working on on um, how to talk with your kids about porn. And um, uh, one of the key kind of points for us is that if they don't have an existing framework that you help them set up, then they can't go in and go, oh, well, that's not true. You know, they're going in and they're getting the first lot of information. It goes back to what you said, and I think that, again, people take this away because Vanessa knows what she's talking about. Who do you want to be the person that tells them? Yeah. That's right. And this, this bubble over here that should be from school and home, should be, we should talk about amazing, wonderful, connected, respectful, pleasurable partnerships till we're blue in the face so that yeah. they can see the comical nature of pornography when they view it. So they can, all, so they can say, well, that's not what I've been told. Yeah, yeah. And, and that doesn't look okay, that way that person's getting treated. Yeah. Mm. And even as they're older, you uh, talk about in pornography about them being conscientious consumers of an industry. Do you want to be consumer of a product that uh, there may be exploitation or trafficking or people not being treated fairly. Is that something that you would consume, you know, and getting them to critically yeah. think about that? That's yeah, for yeah, the much older really, ones, yeah. Yeah, but it's a really good approach and I think it's become very topical, so it's a very kind of, it's an on-point approach for that generation. 
Well, there's ethical pornography, which requires a credit card and time to find it. And, yeah. you know, so I'm not against sexual imagery for people's brains. It's actually very beneficial in lots of circumstances. I'm talking about mainstream, what children are exposed to, that mainstream online pornography, that as soon as they put it in, it comes up. And they do put it into search engines. You know, I was speaking, speaking to a teacher last week. They've got um, software at their school that tells them what the kids have been searching and they've been searching the names of the sites. I'm not going to say them to give them any more credibility or exposure during school, grade three. And for those that aren't part of the Australian system, what age is grade three? Oh, I'd say grade three, they'll be seven or eight. Wow. Okay, so um, if you want to be the person that tells the land that they come to, as you said before, you start from the beginning, you know, when they're toddlers, the right names for their body parts, don't be shy. Don't be shy, and even the little toddlers, you know, if something comes up on the, on the iPad that gives you your early warning signs, you need to come and get me, turn the iPad over and come and get me. Yeah. And, the, and your language increases. So on the internet, there's sometimes there's images of things that give us our, make us feel a bit confused and uncomfortable. It might be being cruel to animals or there might be images of war, but there's also images of naked adults um, and what they say is sexual experiences and it's not realistic and it's really can be harmful for kids. And like a scary movie, hard for you to get it out of your brain, you actually need adult help when that happens. Um, shut the laptop and come and get me and I will help you with that. Okay, so anybody listening, just take that excerpt re-recorded and just learn it route. Right, that's it. That's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, it's not fair that our kids <coughs> are exposed to online mainstream pornography without any support from adults. It's just so harmful. It's crazy. And so, um, if people want to get a copy of your book, how can they do that? Yes, uh, actually the best way at the moment while it's out for distribution is through the publisher Amber Press, A-M-B-A. So they're shipping to New Zealand. So amberpress.com. And can people get it internationally? Uh, Yeah, from Amazon. Um, Yeah, amberpress.com.au. Amazon and there's other books, online bookstores that have it as well. It's, it's coming online, it's just been published, so yeah. Now that's very cool. And it's available now? Correct, yep. And if they want that link, my website, so just talking the talk, sexed.com.au, there's always a link there for it. Fantastic, because we do have quite a few um, offshore listeners. Mm. And so I, I, having read it, I think although it's written from Australia, it's a universally uh, applicable book. So US, UK, Wherever you are, Canada, um, you know, go for it. Although it's it, it is deep in West in Western culture, I acknowledge that because um, but that is the case. But I'll just mention Kitnalo, the consent chapter book too, because we won an award last week, two awards, best primary school chapter book and over outstanding whole primary resource for the whole of Australia. So, and that's got thirteen lesson plans for teachers. There's a free website of consent, how to teach it in the classroom. Um, and that's for parents and teachers as well. Yeah, that's the one we were talking about earlier, and I, I should have um, asked you if you had it there to hold up. And it's a really beautiful um, unpacking of consent, and definitely, you know, as part of the toolkit, um, thoroughly recommended. So definitely Thank you. get those books on your bookshelf and share them. Yeah. Oh, well, um, is there anything we, before we close, Vanessa, is there anything message-wise you, we haven't talked about or that you've been thinking about that you'd like to say that we haven't covered? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we did pretty well, except that um, I would just like to say to adults, especially the parents, just get started. 
It's actually yeah. easier than you think. Uh, and the more that you do it, the easier it becomes. Yeah, completely. And um, um, keep listening to our podcast because amazing people like Vanessa can really help when it comes to building your confidence. Well, thanks for the opportunity to get the message out there. I appreciate it immensely. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us. It's been amazing. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you want to find Vanessa, you can find her at talkingthetalksexed.com.au. You can also check out her Instagram at at talkingthetalk. Before we sign off, we want to remind you to check out our book, which is available at sexandspace.com forward slash book, or you can search for The Organ Education Forgot on Amazon. We also have a downloadable PDF version available on our website if you prefer a digital copy, which is $8 New Zealand dollars. And our merch is now available. You can also find this through our website or at sexandspace.com forward slash shop got some great t-shirts and mugs so go and check them out don't forget to leave a like follow comment or review wherever you're tuning in from your support means the world to us until next time safe travels and see you on the next episode